0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today a very warm welcome to scorebox from the Ambassetti forum on the shores of lake como and of course uh, from dear old london as well these are your headlines Uh, Wall Street hitting new highs as jobless claims touch their lowest level since the pandemic began. The former World Bank chief economist and Nobel laureate Joseph Stiglitz tells me he welcomes a tightening
1: labor market. It would actually be a good move to have a tighter labor market and a restoration of interest rates to more normal levels. Something stock sustainable won't be sustained.
2: China's services sector slides into contraction as a private survey of activity plunges to levels not seen since the start of the pandemic. Japanese Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga announces plans to resign at an emergency meeting of the LDP, saying he will not run for re-election this month.
0: The Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi says he may introduce a vaccine mandate in the country as he urges the nation to get jabbed and we'll discuss that and plenty more with our stellar lineup of guests here at the Ambrosetti Forum in Italy.
2: It is a big day on the jobs front stateside today. We've been setting up for this non-farm payrolls report all week and we've had a couple of mixed... Reads on the labour market coming up to the the Friday data. The latest was stronger. The weekly U.S. jobless claims sank to the lowest level since the pandemic began, with layoffs hitting a 24-year low. It comes ahead of a highly anticipated August jobs report due later today. The Fed has said it will start withdrawing stimulus once the labour market has made, quote, substantial further progress towards maximum employment. Economists polled by Reuters expect the U.S. to have added 750000 non-farm jobs last month and the unemployment rate distinct to, to 5.2%. And don't forget, uh, just a day earlier, we had a miss on the ADP private jobs report. So very mixed signals out of this market uh, as to what we're expecting. Some are saying, look very closely at the travel and leisure segment. That was the area that was hard hit at the start of the pandemic. We're looking for any improvement in that area of the employment market. But uh, let's just circle back to the action we're seeing on Wall Street ahead of the key data. Markets have been just stretching a little bit high and you can see it across the board in lockdown step for the Dow, the S&P, Nasdaq. Yesterday, a day earlier, we'd been talking about the technology names are providing a bit of a prop for this market. Yesterday, we saw the Dow snapping a three-day losing streak to the upside, United Health, uh, That was one of the big movers for the market. But by sectors, just worth noting energy back in the mix. And this has been a bit of a lag out on the back of uh, some gyrations with Hurricane Ida first pushing up oil prices and then pulling them back and energy had been in the mix for these markets pulling them a little bit lower in recent sessions. But uh, one of the top movers yesterday and that was contributor for the likes of the Dow. But right across the board, The S&P Nasdaq, again, chasing those fresh record peaks, both intraday and by the close. Look at the Treasury market now. It is a market that is closely eyeing this data coming out on the non-farm payrolls report later on today. 1.29% where you can see we're trading. We're off some of the highs we've had in recent weeks, above that 130 level. But just worth noting the comments that we saw yesterday, very brutal comments from the so-called former bond king, Bill Gross, effectively calling bonds trash. saying buying US government debt is all but certain to be a losing bet. So those comments, of course, as we've seen a lot of technical moves in the bond markets of late. I want to take you to the dollar. We did see a little bit of movement in recent trading sessions. In particular, the support that has come through the market for euro with the dollar on the back foot, 118.75, the level we're trading up this morning. Much firmer, as you can see. dollar has a bit versus the Japanese yen, but we're closely eyeing that market. Given the news that's come out that the current Prime Minister, Suga, will not be contesting the next election. He will step aside, which means more uncertainty as to the next leadership in Japan. But at this stage, dollar has it versus the Japanese yen. A little bit of movement on pound. And uh, you can see dollar flat versus the Swissy. Asia markets, let's take a quick check on that Japanese trade today. Tokyo stocks bouncing. You can see on the back of hopes of more stimulus for that market, Given the change in leadership that is coming at the end of the month, it is a pop. And don't forget, uh, in context, this is a market that struggled to get through that 28,000 level. Now we're above 29,000 in trade today. And, of course, China on the back of another week reading in the PMIs. It is trading a fraction weaker. Big events playing out uh, in Italy today. And Steve joins us from the shores of Lake Como. Steve, it's a wonderful outside broadcast, but also a chance to catch up with key leaders to talk about major issues for the world economy at this point.
0: Yeah, it is, Karen. I'll make no bones about it. This is the OB I look most forward to on a calendar year. And I was very privileged last year to make it here. It's my only outside broadcast. And I'm privileged to be here again. Look, Italy's in the same situation a lot of us around the world are. And we're just learning to cope with COVID. Now, Italy's had a very big vaccination drive. It's one that we'll talk about a little bit later on with Mario Draghi making new initiatives on that front uh, in the last 24 hours. But we also talk here at the Ambrosetti Forum. On, yeah, I mean, look, it's beautiful. It's fantastic. I, I want the jackpot when I get on this trip. I make no bones about it. But I get to speak to some stunningly important people as well uh, about very important issues, including about the payroll. I think the payroll is utterly random today, Karen. I think that was the only thing that wasn't in your uh, your report of the wall. I, I think that yeah, you know, when you've got a range of between two to three hundred thousand low end and a million at the top end as well, and yet we're thinking that the Federal Reserve will, will stake its taper program on something that's so utterly random that could be three hundred thousand jobs created. There could be a million jobs created. I think people are talking pie in the sky if they think that because I think it's one bit of data set. uh, And of course the more important bit as you were mentioning at the wall was the fact that the unemployment rate could go down to 5.2%. I actually think the third factor is probably equally important and that is the average hourly earnings as well. We're looking for a 0.3 of 1% increase there, possibly taking us to a 4% annualized figure well, I mean, that, that's real entrenched inflation, isn't it? Or is that just transitory? Again, that's a question I'll leave with a big uh, question mark hanging out there. But I did get to speak to someone who knows far more about this and far more than I will ever know. In fact, uh, Joe Stiglitz told me last night uh, when I was doing a panel with him as well, that his first year uh, as a professor at Yale, one of his first students was Janet Yellen. Uh, and that was back in 1967. So Joe's been doing this for what, 54 years as well now. So he knows a thing or two about both the fiscal side uh, and indeed the monetary side uh, of things as well. So we've been talking a lot about US policy. He's certainly not worried that the Fed uh, is behind the curve. He agrees uh, that um, we're in a transitory phase uh, for inflation and things will calm down a bit. But he actually welcomes, uh, actually, uh, perhaps a bit more inflation coming into the system, uh, a little bit of a tighter market. So let's listen to Joe Stiglitz. And then you and I can do a bit of analysis uh, on the comments from the uh, Nobel laureate, famed author uh, and former member, of course, of of the Council of Economic Advisers, Bill Clinton.
1: It's not the inflation. uh Very strongly believe that a good, a tight labor market is really good for our society, for our economy. Uh, so that, you're absolutely right. I'm welcoming this tight labor market. The only time the United States has succeeded in including marginalized groups into the labor force, reducing inequality, is when we have a very tight labor market. So I welcome, uh, this situation and I'm 100% in agreement with the diagnosis of the Fed that most of what we are seeing are the hiccups of restarting an economy that had to shut down because of COVID-19. But the Fed's not behind the curve. No, I don't think it's behind the curve. Even with
0: trillions of dollars coming from the Biden administration. Uh,
1: I don't think it's behind the curve. In fact, uh, we are at, at, at I don't want to say perilous, but that's too... too, uh, the injection of support uh, that was part of what was called the uh, Recovery Act is coming to an end. And
0: well, You say that. It could take a good year to taper
1: a lot of that, uh, that quantitative easing. Uh, no, the, 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 I'm talking about the fiscal support is coming to end. And I'm firmly the belief that it's the fiscal support that's made the most difference. And just
0: on that monetary support that I mentioned then, that's creating dangerous bubbles, isn't it? I mean, given the amount of risk taking and the uh, and the leverage being built up by corporates and the, and the heady days where we get records on the major US indices every day, have we got a bubble building here, Joe? Well,
1: one of the th- reasons I welcome the kind of recovery infrastructure investment and so forth is that moves us out of this world of zero interest rates that it encourages the fed to start raising interest rates it is a distorted capital market where the price of capital is zero it distorts risk-taking it creates bubbles and so to me it would actually be a good move have a tighter labor market and a rest- restoration of interest rates to more normal levels. This is—it's a dozen years since we've had uh, zero interest a rates. A whole lot of traders
0: have never seen a rate hike.
1: I, 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 and and I, I, this is not you know, put it. This is not sustainable. And the old expression goes: something that's not sustainable won't be sustained. <sighs>
0: Karen, I love talking to Joe Stiglitz, but he does come uh, with a political angle as well. And we've, we've got to remember that. Joe is, is a brilliant guy. Uh, and I, I spoke to him first in Prague. I think it was about 15 years ago. And I've been reading his literature for at least the last 20 years. I read uh, Globalisation and Its Discontents when it came out in 2001. But he does come at it from a political point of view as well. Uh, and it's very important to say that he was pretty anti-Trump, very anti-Trump, uh, and does, of course, back the Democratic cause and back Joe Biden as well. He does have concerns about the midterms coming up. And of course, that could derail uh, a lot of the potential for bipartisan moves uh, in Capitol Hill going forward as well. So it'd be very interesting to see uh, how that develops. And by the way, we're speaking to uh, Republican Senator Pat Toomey a little bit later on on the show as well. So his, his take will be fant- uh, fascinating as well. But but it is interesting that he's great concerns about the US, about where the Republican Party goes next, what kind of candidates it fields in the primaries and then hence uh, in the midterms going forward. And that is one of the big risks. Joe, also, as you would expect, from a centre-left center economist as well, sees the need for much greater uh, corporate taxation, great um, uh, fairer shares, he calls it, from the corporates as well. Uh, And as we were hearing from in that snip just just now as well, uh, has concerns about what zero capital is doing to these markets. And that's how he got his Nobel Laureate as well, isn't it? Talking about markets and asymmetry
2: guided many of us through universities, Steve. Uh, he was very much part of the, the books that I was studying with and I was doing economics as well. But, you know, the points that he raised back then, many, many decades ago, he's talking about the system that was effectively rigged against the middle class and that was very much tilted towards the wealthy. What have we seen since then? All this QE, it has uh, put money back into markets. It's expanded the, the wealth of that, is that had money to put into capital markets. So we've seen that. That's been a feature of the markets. And if you think through the lens of China uh, recently, this crackdown in Beijing on the the distribution of wealth, trying to have a more even economy. So uh, plenty in what Stiglitz had flagged up many, many years ago. Just circling back to the markets, though, and and what we're looking out for today in terms of this jobs report, because this is fairly significant. You know, you're highlighting uh, the very wide range out there in the markets. But there is one quarter of the market that thinks we now have a cooling off in the data and that perhaps the taper for the Fed is slightly more challenging at this point. I mean, that said, the expectations are still to the upside uh, at one million jobs addition so it's telling you some people actually more hawkish think that there is potential that we will get some sort of a announcement uh, in coming weeks and that the taper will very much be unveiled so I think it's all to play for today, but, you know, we've been hearing from a lot of long-term commentators, Steve, saying that it doesn't really matter when the Fed tapers. We know they're going to do it. It's now on the horizon for a lot of investors. So one or two months difference really doesn't make any difference to the way they're, they're altering their portfolio at this stage.
0: Yeah, all of the above, Karen. I think you're right. And I think, um, uh, as Joe was alluding to in our conversation as well, uh, some of the uh, withdrawal of of federal support programs as well could put those uh, employment figures under a bit of pressure, as you were alluding to there as well. But you're getting trillions and trillions of dollars potentially uh, coming forward to reinvigorate America, especially uh, if indeed the infrastructure bill uh, goes through. And and Joe was talking about the need for education, for more inclusiveness, for uh, obviously uh, climate-related innovation as well. The roads crumbling. I mean, many people in the United States will look at the airports they've got there, will look at the infrastructure, the bridges, and be appalled that such an important, wealthy nation can have uh, so many issues. The other issues that Joe was talking about is, is of course, inclusiveness and poverty. He was saying that actually some of the Biden issues, and I found this quite staggering, and I haven't uh, checked the data, but Joe said to me yesterday, he said, 20% of of US children are potentially living in some form of poverty. Now, the Biden initiatives will will basically side that figure to around about 10%. A, the figure to start with sounds enormous, and B, if that can happen from Biden's initiatives and these trillions of dollars being spent, well, that's a very positive thing, but who's going to pay for it? And, and I've quizzed Joe on debt. The panelists, uh, in the, I was in a, a little Ambrosetti club setting yesterday where I was moderating a conversation with Joe, uh, and people were quizzing him. Who's going to pay for all this debt, Joe? How much debt is too much? And And it's very difficult to see uh, really what he was saying, people have done a lot of work on it, but don't seem to have a level of where this debt is going to top out. Is it going to be 100%, 150%, 200%, 300%? Uh, a lot of work still needs to be done on that. And of course, one of the detractors uh, of Joe Stiglitz, Ken Rogoff, he, where he and Carmen Reinhart, of course, did a lot of work on the 90% level of debt to GDP. Uh, and then uh, a lot of that work got criticised aggressively, back by other economists as well. So the debate goes on of how much debt can be raised and whether it's good debt, i.e. that will pay for investment or bad debt actually that doesn't have economic productivity, Karen.
2: That's right. I mean, uh, if you think about the clear targets here for the Biden administration, it's corporations. Uh, There is a a feeling very early on for the Biden administration to go after that high corporation tax rate to get companies that have done particularly well and been embarking upon dividends and share buybacks and uh, lining the pockets of shareholders for them to pay a a greater chunk now to try and uh, support the economy. The question is whether the government is best placed to conduct that expansion, to conduct that growth and trying to close the gaps in inequality. Uh, I think that's always been one of the the debates in economic circles, whether it's the government that should be in charge and have such a dominant role or whether it's the private sector. And if you put these constraints uh, with high corporation taxes on some of these companies, perhaps they do not invest in jobs, they do not invest in expansion, research and development that is uh, good for nations and good for economies. You go around in circles on this and we know where Joe sits on this. He's left off many of his counterparts. But uh, I think for many years we've debated why we're not seeing the closing of the gap. Why is there a problem in terms of poverty in a very wealthy nation when you've got uh, records on stock markets? Perhaps Joe Stiglitz has a point, Steve.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I can take just one additional point. He thinks the US needs a much bigger industrial policy. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But uh, yes, much more public involvement. And perhaps, as a lot of our guests have been saying about climate, really, a lot more private, public partnership initiatives going forward. But again, it's a murky old world and the one that we'll discuss many times, Karen. Right, um, I should add that we've got plenty more coverage coming up here from the Ambrosetti House Forum uh, coming up uh, on this show uh, later in this hour. We're going to be joined by the director of the Volta Eucken Institute. That is Lars Felt, who's uh, former chief of the economic advisors to Frau Merkel. Then, uh, as I alluded to earlier on, we've got US Senator Pat Toomey. Now, Toomey's not standing for re-election in 2022. He's a Republican out of Pennsylvania. He's no big fan of Donald Trump as well, so it'd be fascinating to see where he sees uh, the party going as well. Then, Lord Adair Turner, former boss of the FSA, but also uh, carrying a, a climate brief uh, going forward as well. And Carlo Cotterelli will Join us as well. He was at one stage the interim prime minister here in Italy as well, but we'll be getting his take uh, on the economy going forward because he's also a former uh, head director of fiscal studies over at the IMF. Um, then on Monday, uh, we're going to bring you plenty more interviews, uh, including with the European Commissioner uh, Paolo Gentiloni. He's, of course, uh, Commissioner for the Economy, as well as the Italian Minister Renato uh, Brunetta uh, and former. Prime Minister Mario Monti. Karen.
2: Steve, we're going to talk about the revolving door in politics, but not in Italy this time. Japan, the Prime Minister Yoshihide Suga drops a surprise on his party. We'll have more details after the break. And don't forget, you can always listen back to some of our Ambrosetti interviews and analysis on our Squawk podcast. Big developments in japan today where prime minister yoshihira suga announced he will step down and not run in his party's leadership race later this month speaking to reporters earlier today the prime minister said the leadership campaign and handling of the coronavirus in the country required quote huge amounts of energy The announcement comes after Suga saw his support rating fall below 30% as the country battles a resurgence in COVID-19 infections. Suga succeeded Prime Minister Shinzo Abe in September 2020. And uh, Abe, of course, uh, having a fairly long leadership for Japan, but before that we saw much churn in the leadership, Uh, many prime ministers before that, uh, year after year, and it feels as though the uncertainty has again returned to the leadership ranks in Japan. This is how the market is reaction, reacting, though, positive for the Japanese stock market. There's been plenty of discussion about further stimulus, fiscal stimulus perhaps required. That has uh, bolstered the market, as you can see. one6 also on the topics. Dollar-yen rates also marching north, up by about a tenth of a percent. Let's take a look at uh, some other big news out of the region as China's services sector shrank in August for the first time since the pandemic's first wave in April 2020. The Kaijin Services PMI plunged to 46.7 from 54.9 in July, so a significant month-on-month move. New restrictions due to the rapidly spreading Delta variant are hurting service providers in China. The private survey reinforces the findings of the official data released earlier this week, which also showed a sharp decline. Meanwhile China is planning to step up a stock exchange or set up a stock exchange expanding the current offerings in China, this time in Beijing to serve small and medium-sized enterprises in addition to the main exchanges in Shanghai and Shenzhen. President Xi said the new trading platform would be the primary listing place for quote innovation-oriented SMEs. And Beijing already runs an exchange for smaller companies called the New Third Board which would be reformed to create the new platform. And a quick look at those Chinese markets for the Friday session. You can see in the red we are peeling back on the Shanghai Composite down by about a quarter of 1%, a third off Shenzhen. The CSI 300 also trading modestly weaker. Bigger falls coming off the Hong Kong market. Don't forget we'd see a little bit of buying activity around some of those beaten up tech names around the regulation crackdown earlier this week. But that is fading now in the Friday session. BABA, as you can see, 3.1% lower. Tencent at the forefront of video gaming, where we've seen a crackdown on the hours that younger consumers can actually engage in a week. That stock's trading weaker. twan's down 4.4 and Baidu 2.5 plus percent. Alibaba is pledging $15.5 billion towards China's Common Prosperity Plan, which is aiming to invest in small businesses and other ventures to help close the wealth gap. Emily Tan filed this report. Alibaba has pledged $15.5 billion to President Xi Jinping's common prosperity vision. This is China's broad aim to share and spread the wealth by encouraging companies to help ease the inequality. And the contribution made over five years with the Zhejiang News saying that the funds will be spread across 10 initiatives like technology investment, support for small companies and improving insurance protection for gig economy workers. Alibaba is also going a step further in setting up a $3 billion Common Prosperity Development Fund. It follows similar announcements from other corporates like Tencent and Geely Automobile that have also con- contributed to this cause. I'm Emily Tan in Hong Kong. Back to you. Thank you
0: for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com.
2: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.